Beautiful singing. Appreciate the way you've joined in our song service today. I uh, certainly would like to invite you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts, the second chapter today. It's a joy to welcome our guests. We're always very honored to be able to say hello to those who visit our services. And even though we've got a lot of folks that are gone this morning, uh, we're always thankful to have those who visit with us. And we hope that we uh, treat you in a way that you'll want to come back and worship with us anytime you have an opportunity. Over in the book of Acts chapter 2, we want today to focus on the last 11 verses. And what I want us to do today is to observe some things that I believe can challenge us and certainly help us to be the kind of people, the kind of church that God would have us to be in 2016. Now, I realize that Acts chapter 2 is certainly a very important, very pivotal chapter in the entire Bible. Often, Acts chapter 2 is referred to as the hub of the Bible. So many things happened in Acts chapter 2. So many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in this great chapter. In fact, there have been countless lessons that have been presented through the years simply on the wonderful events that transpired in Acts chapter 2. But I don't want us today to look at the first part of this chapter. I don't want us to look at the bulk of, of Peter's sermon. I don't want us to talk about the Old Testament prophecies and things of that nature. I want us to look at the closing 11 verses. And from those 11 verses, I want us to notice the kind of people that made up this church. Sometimes people ask the question, you know, why can't the church today grow like they did back in the first century? Why can't the church today make progress like they did in such an amazing way back in the first century? Well, we can. The formula for that is found right here. If we implement this formula in our individual lives and in the church as a whole, we'll have this same kind of success I am convinced. And so it's not just a hope that the church might grow. It can be a reality if we'll focus on these things. First of all, this morning, I want to suggest to you that this church at Jerusalem was, in fact, a responsive church. The people here in Acts chapter 2 were those that were Jews. Their forefathers had been Jews for generations. And we observe here in verse 36 how that Peter uh, brought his sermon to a conclusion. He said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. In verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked. They were cut to the heart. 
And they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, these same people that were present here on the day of Pentecost were the very same people who just 50 days earlier had called for and demanded that Jesus Christ be crucified. They cried out, let him be crucified. And Peter told them in no uncertain terms that they were guilty of killing God's son. Back in verse 23, Peter said, you have taken and by wicked hands you have crucified and slain the son of God. But now on the day of Pentecost, we find the people making up the Jerusalem church were a responsive people. They were cut to the heart. And and while Peter was still preaching, they interrupted him. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And I think today we likewise need to see individuals when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will respond to it. And yet today it just seems like it's so difficult. So many times it seems like it requires such great effort to get people to see the need to obey the gospel and to become New Testament Christians. I'm afraid many people today are somewhat similar to the Pharisees and the lawyers back in the days of our Lord about whom it is said in Luke 7 and verse 30 that they rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. Or I think about Felix over in Acts chapter 24. We remember Paul preaching that powerful sermon about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come and Felix's reaction, he trembled. Paul, go your way for this time. When I have a convenient season, a convenient time, I will call for you. How many people today are like Felix? How many people today are are waiting for a convenient time to obey the gospel? A convenient time to make your life right with the Lord? You see, if you're here today and you're outside the body of Jesus Christ, you may be blessed to live to be a hundred years old. But you will never find a more convenient time to obey the gospel than right now. And these people on the day of Pentecost heard one sermon, just one. And 3,000 responded and obeyed the gospel. And I'm afraid some today who have already obeyed the gospel are not as responsive after they become Christians either. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Hebrews 4 and verse 7 today, if you'll hear his voice, Harden not your heart. Or the warning that Peter gives in 2 Peter 3 and verse 17. He said, you therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things, beware, lest you also being led away by the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. 
You see, we today in the church need to understand that, that we sin from time to time, that we make mistakes, that, that we fall short. It may be that we become unfaithful and maybe we are once again entrapped by the allurements of the world. Maybe we become a bit lukewarm and unconcerned. But we ought not allow another day that to go by that we are unprepared to meet God. That early church was a church that was responsive. And we need to learn from that church and thus be responsive to the gospel message ourselves. Let me also suggest, though, as we think about that early church, that early church was an obedient church. Look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now these people didn't wait a week or a month to be baptized, did they? They were baptized on that very day. There was absolutely no delay. Now, why did they not delay in being baptized? Why did they not put that off? Well, the reason they didn't delay is because those individuals understood and realized that their sins were not forgiven until they were baptized. Here were people that recognized the authority of the word of God. They realized that Peter was inspired in what he taught. And I think there's a great need for people today when they hear God's word taught to just simply take what the Bible says. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if people that we study with, people that we come into contact with, would have the attitude, I just want to know what God's word says. And yet today people want to go by what they think or what they feel or what they've been taught by their family down through the years. Here were folks that were willing to simply obey the word of God. I think about the attitude of that jailer over in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. After all the events surrounding that great earthquake had transpired, this jailer came to Paul and Silas and he asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. And the Bible says they went the same hour of the night. He washed their stripes. He was baptized. He and all his straight way. Why did he not wait until morning? Well, he had an obedient attitude. Or what about Cornelius and his attitude in Acts 10 and verse 33 as Peter had come and Cornelius said, now therefore we are all present here before God to hear all things that has been commanded by God. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful today if people could just have the attitude, you know, whatever the Bible says, that's exactly what I want to do. And I need to point out that even after we obey the gospel, it's still important that we receive instruction. 
that we still obey the word of God. And when we look at this early church, we need to realize that when God makes a statement, he means it. When God gives a commandment, he requires it. And when our lives are are found not to be in harmony with the Lord's will, we need to be willing to repent and to change our lives. We need to have the attitude that we need to learn what God's word says and be obedient to it. But as you think about these folks in Jerusalem and what made them so successful and the kind of people they were, I want to suggest to you that these folks were faithful. This was a faithful church. Look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Notice that it says they continued steadfastly. They weren't hot one day and cold the next and on one day and off the next. They weren't spasmodic in their commitment and their dedication to God. And and so many times, if we're not really careful, it may be that we're faithful to God when it's convenient. Maybe we're faithful to God when we really like what's going on around us. You know, if everything is to our liking then we will be faithful. But this early church was a faithful church. And they continued steadfastly. And we need to understand that the apostles' doctrine was completely different from anything they had ever been taught all their lives. And the apostles' doctrine simply means the apostles' teaching. It is the inspired teaching. It came from the Holy Spirit and was revealed to inspired men who revealed that to those in the first century of which now we have the inspired book that's been given to us by God. The Bible says they continued in the apostles' teaching. Whatever the apostles taught, they recognized the source, and they were steadfast in trying to do it. You know, the Bible says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. We ought never to become satisfied with what we're doing or where we're going, spiritually speaking. We need to have the urgent attitude our Lord talked about in John chapter 9 and verse 4. He said, we must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. Just think about what these apostles taught. For example, you know, they said in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. Revelation 2 and verse 10. You think about what they taught about faithfully assembling with the saints and how the Hebrew writer points out that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Many times we just kind of brush that aside. It's not important to be here on Sunday night or, or Wednesday night. Those 
people continued in the apostles' doctrine, in the apostles' teaching. The Bible says here they continued steadfastly in fellowship. And that just simply means here a common interest, active and joint participation. They continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. And here's a phrase right here that refers directly to the breaking of the Lord's Supper. And we see firsthand how that they observe this over in Acts 20 and verse 7 when the Bible says upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. They continued steadfastly in that apostolic practice. They continued steadfastly in prayer. The early church was a praying church. You know, Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Or in Philippians 4 and verse 6, Be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we see that early church, we're challenged with the idea of remaining steadfast in praying to the God of heaven. We need to continue in what the Bible says. Let me also suggest, though, and I think this is particularly important today in our time, when so many things are viewed as unsacred that were once held very sacred. We look at these people, and they had a very strong reverence and respect for the God of heaven. Now look at verse 43. The Bible says, Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now the word fear here simply means a very deep and reverential respect, a, an awe for the God of heaven. I think all of us today ought to open up our Bibles and underline Psalms 4 and verse 4. It's not a very long verse. I think it's a verse that maybe you ought to have put on a magnet maybe and put on your refrigerator at home. You ought to, to write it in your school books if you won't get in trouble, young people. This is something that we need to think about. Psalms 4 and verse 4 says, Stand in awe and sin not. Now, folks, there's the key right there. Stand in awe and sin not. You see, when I stop and I realize how great God is, how wonderful he is, how powerful he is, in view of God's awesomeness, I am not going to transgress his law, his commandments. 
I'm going to do what God says because I stand in awe of him. That's why when I think about the decisions that I make on a daily basis, when I think about the kind of life that I live, maybe the kind of clothes that I'm going to wear, my actions out here at school or on the job, every aspect of my behavior is channeled through this principle. Stand in awe of him. And I think one reason today why sin is running so rampant, not only in our world and in our culture, but even in the church today, is because people are no longer in awe of the God of heaven. In Psalms 33 and verse 8, the Bible says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We need to have a reverential respect for the God of heaven. We need to have that reverence among our families, on our jobs, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We need to have respect for the God of heaven. And then let me suggest as well this morning, as we think about this church, this early church, we need to understand that they were a unified people. Now keep in mind as we look at these characteristics that we could talk in so much more detail than we're talking about today about these particular ideas. And I hope you'll think about these ideas as we go through them. But here we find that this church was a unified church. Look at verse 44. All who believed were together. Notice what it said there. All who believed were together and they had all things in common. Verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Here were brethren that were together on a continual basis. They believed the same things. They practiced the same things. Here were people that were on the same page. You know, you look down at verse 41, and the Bible says 3,000 souls on that very first day obeyed the gospel, and all 3,000 of them were together. And folks, you cannot have a strong church today when there's bickering and strife and envying and faction and division. And you stop and think about it. There is never going to be everything done in this congregation to please every member. That's impossible. That could not happen even if the Lord Jesus Christ himself were here. Therefore, we have the obligation to respect the leadership that God has put into place in the local congregation. And that is the eldership. They rule in matters of judgment, matters of opinion. And unless we're being asked to do something that is contrary to God's will, we need to work together. We look at that Jerusalem church and we see the importance 
of being unified. Without unity, the church of our Lord will be destroyed internally. And we just need to go back and and we need to learn this great lesson. I think we do a good job, but I, I think we need to work even harder in trying to develop fellowship and closeness. Now, this church here, as far as I know, you won't find a friendlier church anywhere overall. This is a very friendly congregation. I think this is a very loving and caring congregation. But we can never become satisfied with where we are. I just think about on an occasion like today when we have visitors, we need to make sure that our guests are always warmly welcomed. Sometimes we just need to forget about ourselves. We need to be involved in talking to our guests. I think we ought to get here early and enjoy one another's company before we worship. I think it's great how that people hardly won't leave after services are over. They stay around. They enjoy being together. But I hope you'll never ask the question to somebody, who is that over there? That's a no-no. Don't do that. See, if you don't know who somebody is, you go to them and ask them yourselves. It's not going to be something that makes you look bad. Maybe they have lived on the east side of the auditorium for 15 years and, you know, they kind of wandered on your side. Find out who they are. Talk to them. Don't, don't ask who a certain person is. You go find out yourself. If you're really interested, I believe you will. Let's be willing to show one another <clears throat> that we care <clears throat> about one another. And just like that Jerusalem church, they were unified. They cared about one another. I think we can also learn quickly that we need to see the importance of giving of our means faithfully. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, you know, you look at the context here in verse 5. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And we know here that Jews from all over the world had come here to Jerusalem for the peace, for the feast at Pentecost. And, of course, we know on this occasion that the Holy Spirit came, the church had its beginning, And now these people who had come from so far away didn't want to leave. They didn't want to go home. They wanted to remain and become grounded in the Christian faith. And naturally, they ran out of money. They ran out of provisions. And so what did they do? Well, the Bible says the brethren at Jerusalem sold their possessions and their goods to take care of those brethren. Over in Acts chapter 4, we read an explanation of this same activity, how that the brethren in Jerusalem gave everything they had to take care of their brethren. Now, folks, that's not God's permanent plan for our giving. If we gave everything we had today on Sunday, we wouldn't have anything to give next Sunday. But the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, place it into the church treasury, that there be no gatherings till when I come. So God's permanent plan for giving is for us to give on the first day of the week as we have been prospered. And then I love what's said about this church 
over in verse 47. This church was an accepted church. Praising God, having favor with all the people. You know, people around the city of Jerusalem highly regarded those in the church. No doubt because of the fellowship they enjoyed, the caring, the sharing, the unity that existed, praising God together. You know, people saw the, the, the church and the strong bond that existed among brethren. And, you know, that was a very attractive thing. And the church in any community is going to be more accepted when there's a genuine sense of character, when there's a closeness and a care for other people. Jesus said by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John 13 and 35. We need to be shining lights in our community. But I close today by suggesting to you that one reason why this church at Jerusalem was so vibrant and alive is because they were a soul-winning church. It still amazes me to look at verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Why did this church grow like it did? Was it because of the great preacher they had? I don't think that had one thing to do with it. Uh, was it because of all the, the wonders and signs and, and miracles that people saw? I don't think that had one thing to do with it. We have a better advantage. We have the complete, revealed, inspired word of God. I think we have more an, of an advantage than even they did. If you look at the history here of this Jerusalem church, you'll find the reason they had daily additions was because every single member was evangelistic. Now, if you look at Acts 4 and verse 4, the Bible says the number of men was about 5,000. In Acts 5 and verse 14, the believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women. You know, whenever I think about multitudes, you know, you think about Black Friday, right? People hitting all the stores and they're just full wall to wall. That's a mul well, the Bible says here they were added to the Lord multitudes. Look at verse uh, chapter 6 and verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples were multiplied. Two times two is four. Four times four is, I better watch it, I'll mess up here in a minute. Multiplied, not just added. They are being multiplied. That says a lot about their evangelistic efforts. Acts 6 and verse 7, and the word of God increased and the number of disciples <clears throat> multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Now, we're not doing just two times two and four times four anymore. They're multiplying greatly. You know, we're having to learn our, our 12s and, 
and how to multiply those kinds of numbers. They were having tremendous success. The Bible says a great number of priests were obedient to the faith. But then you notice Acts 8 and verse 1. At that time, there was a great persecution that arose against the church at Jerusalem. They had to leave their homes. They had to leave their familiar surroundings. And they were scattered abroad. Now, the apostles stayed behind. The members of the church were forced to leave. And the Bible says, they that were scattered abroad, the members went everywhere preaching the word. The members. The ones in Acts chapter 2, the ones who previously had crucified Jesus Christ, they went everywhere preaching the word and Paul could say in confidence in Colossians 1.23 that the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven. You see, that's the key there. They were a soul-winning church. Now, you see, if you're here this morning and, and you're outside the body of Jesus Christ, you need to learn from this church to be a responsive church. You need to think about what God's word says about becoming a Christian. In simple, trusting faith, just do what they did. You see, if you hear what they heard, you obey what they obeyed, you do what they did, you live like they lived, you'll be what they were. Just simple New Testament Christians. And they obeyed the gospel when their faith became active to the point where they repented of their sins. And they, just like those in Acts chapter 2, were baptized into Christ, immersed in water, buried with the Lord in baptism for the remission of sins, Romans 6, 3, and 4. Likewise today, if you're a member of the church and Things are not right in your life. You need to be a responsive individual as well. Acknowledging sin, turning from it, asking God in prayer to forgive you. This morning, the invitation is yours. If you're subject to it, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.